Well, it's been a great morning already. Uh, by the way, there's going to be a picnic tonight at 4 o'clock. In case you hadn't heard, I just... <laughs> I just am feeling sort of left out because I'm not going to be able to be here. And so he just keeps weaving all of these details. Uh, are you intending to torture me? What's the deal here, buddy? Just... Real, real blessing to be here, and thank you for the privilege to share in a very special day. Congratulations on this occasion of celebrating God's faithfulness for your church family. And it is an honor for us at Appalachian to partner with you. As already referenced, the sharing of your pastors, he serves and currently on our board of directors, but also faithfully participating along with Janet and lots of things on our campus and others of you as well. I don't know if any of you that were part of the work team that came down, or any of you here this morning? that we're part of that work team. God bless you for helping with that wonderful project. And it's been a real joy to see that even move along. You've got to come back and see some of the continuation of finishing of things you got so well started. And it's been a great tool in our uh, Welker Pavilion and the water slide this summer and all that goes with that. And so we are honored to partner with you in your labor for the Lord. It's been a joy to be here this weekend also. Uh, the Iwigs are not in this service as I referenced them in the first, but uh, they so graciously hosted uh, myself as well as my executive assistant, Michael Rowe, who's back here in the back helping to just facilitate the message this morning. But uh, we are thankful for the privilege to be laborers together with God. And I hope that this day will just be a, a catalyst to additional blessings. That reference to that prison ministry that uh, Pastor Van mentioned is a real joy to just see what God is doing there and uh, pray for God's protection. I know that the adversary of our souls is not happy about what's going on. And so anytime you engage in something that has the risks of some uh, interface with the world's way of doing things, you just know that you're in for a challenge of sorts. And so pray for God's blessing, but it's been a real joy to see it come together. And I look forward to having you hear how that's being blessed of the Lord in the days to come. You folk know Appalachian Bible College in lots of ways, uh, but frankly, you see it every week because you have Pastor Van and Janet here and Pastor Mark and Pastor Everett's been a part of our graduate program. And so I trust that as you see the blessing of those kinds of lives and others that are part of your church family, that you will faithfully pray for God's sustaining work as we serve together in seeking to impact our world for Jesus Christ. I have an item in my pocket this morning that uh, is of importance to every one of you that's been here this morning. I have no doubt that it's an item that, frankly, you're dependent upon. Any of you come to, to church in a car this morning? Just want to know. Anybody? Anybody not come to church in a car? Maybe I should find that out. That's probably less persons. But the truth is, as you got into your car this morning, now I know that there are some vehicles these days that are a little different in their uh, you know, function, but as a rule, as you get into a car... You can't really do much in that car without one very small item called what? A key. Uh, you may have left your house this morning, as is probably the typical pattern. And as you leave the house, you assure that the doors are locked because you want to make sure that it's secure as you're gone. And so to get back into your house, you have to have a little item called a, a key. Uh, you might have a job that gives you a chance to have access to some important areas of your workplace. And as you do that, well, you find yourself with the responsibility to have a set of keys because you have earned the right to now have that obligation. So I have some keys here in my pocket, some of which are, you know, designed for buildings, some are designed for, you know, homes, some designed for cars. And so, you know, little, little instruments that really aren't all that imposing by way of size but are very, very important by way of usage. Keys. On this day of celebration for your anniversary as a church family, 
I'd like to encourage you to take that little imagery of keys and I'd like to haunt you as you go about your lives on a routine basis and be reminded that just like you use a key to start your car or a key to open your home or key to access your workplace or whatever else you may have by way of a key usage, may I just tell you that those components ought to be haunting reminders to you that there are some keys that God wants you as a church family to exercise in the functioning of your church. And so anniversaries like this give you a chance to stop and pause and reflect upon exactly how are we as a church facing our future? What are we to anticipate and what should we prepare for? What kind of keys do we need? And so with that backdrop, I'd like to just invite you to think along this line this morning on some keys, six keys actually, for opening your effective future as a church family. These six keys, I believe, are not exhaustive. There's more than this that would be effective for your church family. But I'll say this without reservation. If you'll take these six keys and utilize them effectively as a church family, you will have a great future as a church. And with that in mind, would you open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. This is a particular portion of Scripture written to a church in a city called Colossae. By the Apostle Paul, this writing. And yet he wasn't the founder of this church. He was one who had learned of their activities and was particularly concerned to help them. And so he pens these words of Scripture we call the book of Colossians in order to try and encourage them in their faith and testimony in that location. I won't develop it at length this morning, but it's a situation where this particular location in many ways, could be very comparable to your location by way of a particular city. I know your church isn't located in a city, but you live in a region of expanding development and accessibility and growth. Colossae was a city of that kind of nature. It was a city of intelligentsia. It was a, known as the intellectual center of the day in the Asia Minor. And with that backdrop, it was very prolific in its awareness of what was going on. And so with that in mind, may I just encourage you to follow as we read the first 14 verses of this chapter. And then we're going to zero in on a few of those verses as we extract these six keys that you need to put on the ring of your service for the Lord as a church family. Would you stand with me, please? And let's read these verses or you follow as I read Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And out of respect to the word of God, I'd like to just read these verses in your hearing. And uh, then we'll give our attention briefly to these six keys. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power unto all patience, 
long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father who hath made us fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Thank you. you. may be seated. Would you just follow now as we briefly move through these portions of Scripture, verses 9 through 14 now, to display this set of keys that you ought to be making sure is available to you as you carry forth your task as a church. These six keys for opening your effective future. Key number one is a key called filled with His will. Filled with His will. Verse 9, Paul starts with a prayer that is uttered to that church family as he's introduced himself in verses 1 through 8 and some backdrop to the, to the book that's before us. But he says, this cause, because of what he'd heard about them, probably through his association with their pastor, Epaphras, probably the one who planted that church at Colossae. And he says, as I've heard this about you, I, I pray for you. And here's what I pray, that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You know, the will of God is not something that is just designed for the mega moments of our lives. We think of the will of God often when we have some significant decision or some kind of situation. But the truth is the will of God should be a, a consuming, ever-present component of our lives each day. We should awaken each day and say, Lord, what is your will for me today? Even in the face of regularities. You have a job to go to. You have an appointment that you have to keep. You have school that you need to attend as a student. Can I tell you, in the face of all those regularities, you should still say, Lord, what is your will for me today? Because you see, the will of God is not some kind of a momentary part of my life. It should be the consuming component of my life. What does God want from me? There are three words here in this particular verse that I want to highlight just to give some features to the will of God. I encourage you to take note of them. It's the word knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Those three words might appear to be synonymous or synonyms, <coughs> but they really aren't. They're very significant differences of nuances to what God wants to communicate and what Paul is communicating as it relates to the will of God. He says, be filled with the knowledge of His will. I do believe that the will of God most usually starts with a sense of knowledge, if you will, data, information, facts. We often think of our particular world today as being the age of information, Fact is, those who analyze sort of social development will say that we've moved from the industrial age to the information age. And we certainly are, you know, just inundated with data. We push buttons and get whatever we want by way of information. And tragically, we have sort of then concluded we know it all. <laughs> well, the truth is, information is a part, and by the way, the information of God's will is, is here. This is where we must know what God wants. It's the Word of God. That's why, and this is not intended to be sort of a subtle commercial for Appalachian Bible College, but that's why I'm such a fanatic on Bible college education. Regardless of your occupational future, may I just say unashamedly to you as family members, you should yearn for your children, for your grandchildren to be filled with the knowledge of the will of God, and the Word of God is what they need to do that. And so without that, we'll not have sufficient. If this pulpit is, ever, is never characterized by Fully declaring the word of God, guess what? Your church is in trouble. And so knowledge is a part of it. But then it goes on and says, filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom. Knowledge is knowing the facts. 
Wisdom is knowing how to use the facts. And so, if you will, it's a very important thing for us to not only have a knowledge of God's will in the sense of the data, but then how to utilize that and use it for him. I use this illustration that is rather pertinent and close to home to just the thinking of our world today. We think that we can somehow satisfy the need by just giving the data. When in reality, we need this wisdom component as well. Here's the illustration. We think that we can give you know, some kind of a particular educational mode whether it's in the area of drug addiction or whether it's in the area of sexual behavior. You know, we think if we have sex education, we have solved the problem of immorality. No, it's not information that's needed only. It must also be wisdom, knowing how to use that information. But then the third word, understanding. Knowledge is having the information. Wisdom is knowing how to use the information. Now, understanding is knowing when to use the information. Discernment, if you will. And that's another component in the will of God. How to know what God wants, how to use what God tells us, but then when to use what God tells us. I use this illustration often as I talk about my privilege of serving at Appalachian these years. Uh, invariably, as we come to the end of the semester where we get ready for Thanksgiving break, you know, campus is eager to get out of there and everybody is too. And frankly, we're eager to get rid of them. Yeah, but uh, if that's insulting, why be insulted? But uh, the truth is, it's a nice break. We have a week off there after, right before Thanksgiving. But we have a wonderful chapel service right before that in which we have a, just an occasion to give testimonies of thanks and praise to the Lord. And I usually have a little bit of a, you know, you know, dad speech that I give or grandpa speech, whatever age you want to make me. But the truth is this, you know, sort of talk to the students about some things they should be careful of, even to the point of encouraging them to drive safely as they leave. And, and uh, that's, you know, just part of what I am wired to, to think. But, you know, one of the things that I say at that time is I try and caution our freshman students as they go home, most of them for the first time to their church since they came to school. You know, they've been with us now September, October, half of November. I mean, they've got it down. I mean, after all, they've got 10 weeks under their belt. They really have the answers. And I say to them, the most dangerous person on the planet to come to a church on a Sunday morning after Thanksgiving is a freshman Bible college student. Because they've got the knowledge, and they might even have a little wisdom how to use it, because we have Christian service, they put it into practice, but they don't have two hoots worth of understanding. <laughs> I want you to know that for your church to effectively go forward and to have the opening of an effective future, you must be filled with His will. All of those components must be yours, and they are tied to your understanding of the Word of God. That's the first key, critical to the rest. But then we see a second key as it moves to verse 11, not only being filled with His will, and we'll just mark these others with some brevity. Next, we want to be following His wishes, key number two. Verse 10 says, "...that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing." Following his wishes. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, it's describing a, you know, the demonstration of that as we walk. That's describing how we live. Walk is something that's the characteristic mobility of a human being. You know, if I were to tell you we're going to have a race after the service or maybe after this picnic tonight when you eat too much, we're going to have a race you know, around the picnic ground, I promise you some of you would you know, immediately sign off. Some of you would try and would make it. Others of you might make it. But the truth is, running isn't what we can do a lot of. Or if I would say uh, today to show that we're really dedicated, we're going to crawl around the church and show how much we love our church. 
I, I promise you, some of you would say, get me down, I can't get back up. I mean, it's, you know, crawling isn't what you do. But walking's the normal behavior, typically. So Paul is saying here, our behavior, our demonstration of following his wishes, that we walk not only with demonstration, but with this definition, worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? This is a really unique word in the original text. Uh, worthy is, a, is describing a scale. It's the old kind of scale where you had the, you know, the pedestal in the middle with two little pans on either side and you're balancing this scale. Sometimes it's a symbol of judicial system where you're supposed to have a balanced judicial you know, outlook. And the idea is that we're to walk worthy. What is the idea behind the scale? It means that God is on one side and our lives should be equal to what he is on the other side. So that the scale of our lives is balanced by what God is and that's what we are. That's a pretty interesting definition of walking worthy. Here's a practical way to describe that. We ought to walk, we ought to live in such a way that people are reminded of God by us. The question of the morning or near afternoon now is, are you walking, are you living so that people think about God when they see you? Or here's a real practical way to say it. When's the last time someone thought about God when they saw you? That's what we're called to do. I must have the key of following without any reservation his wishes. And so, pleasing him. But then key number three. If we're filled with his will, if we're following his wishes, key number three is we need to be fruitful in his work. I'd like to just invite you to just follow this phrase because it's just so rich with description. It says that we're being fruitful in every good work. Those little words give us a series of thoughts that I want you to follow. First, it's a matter of being persistent in this fruitful work. Being is the state of existence. It's the ever-present verb for you English students. We talk about the, 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 the being word is just the state of being. It's, it's, a, it's existent. We should be persistent in this fruitful work, but then we should be productive. It's fruitful. It's not wasted. So it's a persistent, productive, and it permeates everything I do in every good work, it says. Not just in some, but it's in every good work. And by the way, the end is the circular word, so I stay within the parameter of what God is always wanting by way of his production through my life. So I am persistent, I am somebody who's productive, I'm permeated, I'm profitable, it's good work. It's not something that has wasted time. I say unashamedly, can you fathom it? God lets us serve him. Amazing, isn't it? Paul put it this way, you speak in behalf of God, as though God did beseech you by us, we beg you in Christ said, be reconciled to God. Fathom it. When I witness, when I share the word of God, when I live the Lord Jesus before others, I'm actually there in the place of God himself. Can you fathom it? God risks his reputation on critters like you and me. He lets us take the sacredness of the word of God and put it in such fragile hands and mouths and minds as ours. What an amazing privilege. You wouldn't want to serve God. So Paul says you need to have this fruitful in his work. And it is work. That's the final thought. It's profitable, but it's also perspiring. It's work. It's work. I promise you that serving God is work. 
As a child, I used to walk to school in Sheraton, Iowa. And one of my fears in walking to school about, you know, it's hard to fathom. This sounds, you know, for, for you young kids, this is not the story of walking up hills both ways to school. I mean, I'm not using that or through the snow all the time. But it was about a mile to my school. And I was always afraid that as I walked to school that I would intersect at about the same time another guy named Billy Joe Morrow was walking to school. Now, Billy Joe was a guy that was in my class. He was about twice my size, and that's partially because I was a runt. And also it's because he liked, you know, third grade so much he'd been there three years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you understand. But, you know, Billy used to give me a hard time. He'd say, boy, I sure wish my dad had your dad's job. Only working one day a week. <laughs> my dad was a pastor, by the way. <laughs> and it just made me mad. I wanted to bash Billy up, but I just couldn't. I couldn't reach his face, you know. <laughs> you know. You know what? Serving God is work. And I wanted to say to Billy, you want my dad's job? You want your dad to have my dad's job? You don't know how much my dad works. Now, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying serving God is work. And by the way, if you're not diligently working here in your church family, I'm the delightfully ignorant itinerant who doesn't know anything about any of you. And I'm saying this, work! (laughs) You need to work. God says that's what we need. So the key is fruitful in his work. But then key number four, briefly, Verse 10 goes on to say we ought to be flourishing in his ways. The last phrase of verse 10, increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, we should be growing with this idea of grasping the knowledge of God, want to learn more, with intent to be like him, godly, flourishing in his ways. I hasten that key on your ring as you think together of these keys for opening your effective future. That brings us to our fifth key in verse 11. It's a word that, or it's a key that frankly is essential for your future. And that is this, we should be fighting with his weapons. Fighting with his weapons, verse 11. Now, quite honestly, I'm not encouraging church turmoil. I didn't say fighting with each other. (laughs) It's not encouraging, you know, fracturing your church family. Sunday school hour this morning with Brother Shoop, he was talking about the unity of the body of Christ as part of the function. And it's true. But can I tell you, we're in a hostile world. This world is no friend to grace to help us on to God. As I pointed out in the first service just this week on Friday's USA Today, right on the front page, was boldly declaring that the Supreme Court likely to take on this year in their roster of cases that they're going to consider Decision that will likely render it unconstitutional to suggest that any state or any kind of regulation can be made to to prevent homosexual marriages or same union marriages. Can I tell you, we live in a hostile world. It's a battle. And God's given us the weapons we need. And the weapons are these, verse 11. Strengthened with all might. That's the equipment that we have. According to his glorious power, that's the empowering that we have. With this kind of evidence, we are patient, long-suffering, and joyful. Wow. That'll fight. And that'll win. I promise you. You must be fighting with his weapons. But that brings us to this final anthem of this passage in verses 12 through 14. And our final key. And that is this. We must be fervent in worship. Fervent in worship. Worship is an art that is not just an atmosphere or a series of songs 
Worship in its very derivation is a word that means worship. God's superior worth to all that we might want to measure against it. And we must be with a fervency that says, God and God alone is what is the greatest worthy one of my life and of our church. And so we see it described with the behavior of worship in verse 12, giving thanks. One of the greatest testimonies of a worship to God is the grateful heart, the the thankful heart. This year's theme on our campus as we focus on a different aspect of servanthood is we want to be servants who give thanks to God. No matter what. In everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's the behavior of our worship. But then the basis for it is this testimony of how it covers every facet and stage of life. Look at verse 12. It's the, the future of our worship. We're someday positioned to be partakers of the inheritance that God has for us. That's a great future. I promise you, no legal system or no failure of execution of a will document will ever alter that. We have a guaranteed inheritance in him. And aren't you glad? That's our future we worship him for. You can offer to any hopeless person in this world or any person in this world, I have a future. I have a future. But then I also have a past that I can rejoice in. Verse 13, he delivered us from the power of darkness in the past, translated us into the kingdom of his son. I'm positionally already there. And so that's secured by way of my past in my walk with God. And I worship him for that. And in the meantime, for the present, verse 14, as I traffic in this world, I have redemption through his blood, even right now, the perpetual forgiveness of sins. Now, if you can't worship with those kinds of stanzas to an anthem, you might want to check and see if you're saved. What a great opportunity to have fervency in worship. A set of keys. I hope that the next time that you grab your keys, probably today as you go to your car to leave the parking lot, that you will be haunted to be reminded that you have a set of keys for your church you need to make sure you have. Do you have the keys? There are six on that ring. Somewhat by coincidence, the image headed there, I must confess I didn't place them there. But what a reminder that these six keys... From being filled with His will to being fervent in your worship. Can I invite you? You can open an effective future for your life personally and for your church corporately as you have the keys. Will you pray with me, please? Father, today we thank you for the richness of your word. Thank you for the sufficiency of all of its message for us. And I pray that you will help us today to exercise a responsive heart to the word of God. I pray your blessing upon this dear church family and the celebration of your faithfulness on this day. May it not be a a, a time of just reflection of the past. May it be a time of incentive for the future. May you bless them for the anniversary of their 33rd and their 43rd and their 53rd or whatever you have till you come until you call us individually to yourself oh god may you help us to take the keys of your word and open the opportunities that are afforded to us to effectively do your work 
Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.